Hey folks, thanks for joining me today. I'm Christopher Tallon, host of Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people by creative people. Before I get into who my guest is today, let me quickly thank Rivertown Adventures, who uh, now I guess I can say I've had both of the founders on the very first episode. It was with Paul Brogan, who uh, is co-founder and current uh, owner and operator of Rivertown Adventures. And my guest today is the other half of the uh, founding membership. Uh, Rivertown Adventures is the most fun you're going to have in Lansing outdoors. I guarantee it. They've got new routes all over the place. Every river in the Lansing area, they've, they've got you covered, man. Go check them out. RivertownAdventures.com. Live free, go paddle. The show is also brought to you by my good friends in Kentucky, Baby Farm Soaps. So much more than just soaps. I personally don't use any other lip balm anymore besides Baby Farm lip balm. I also use their soaps in the shower, at the sink. It's all we use. It's the best stuff. Baby Farm Soaps. Go find them on Facebook. Baby Farm Soaps. And then the last thing is Hey Guys Media Group. I tried to record this podcast the other day, and I didn't have Hey Guys Media Guys help. And you know what happened? I messed it up. I couldn't use it. Luckily, the guy that I recorded with is a really good friend of mine, and I told him what happened, and he was like, all right, we'll just do it again tomorrow. Um, and this time I had Hey Guys help, and it turned out fine. It sounds great. HeyGuysMediaGroup.com. Let them help you make your podcast. My guest today is my good friend, Nate Williams. As I mentioned earlier, he is one half of the founding members of Rivertown Adventures. Nate has since left Rivertown Adventures and traveled all around the world. He's been to Alaska and France and beyond working and making money and getting to see a lot of places for uh, cheap or in some cases for free or even getting paid to do it. He's a guy who takes travel very serious and finds creative ways to do it and I hope you enjoy his story. So thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this interview with my good friend Nate Williams. All right brother so here we are doing it again for the second time it almost kind of feels like the third time because I um, put a post out on my Instagram that we recorded something but we couldn't use it because of the iffy audio which I put 100% on me because I don't know what happened, man. Like, I don't know if over at your place, if, do you guys have ExpressVPN or something like that? No. When I logged in on the Wi-Fi, it, my computer was set to um, automatically set time based on whatever internet connection you're on. But when I signed on to the Wi-Fi, something happened. The, com- the clock went wrong and it thought that I was in Europe it changed all the settings to European settings. And so that's why the sample rate was different. And when I tried to change it over, then the sample rates didn't sound right together. It condensed it and made it sound Elvin and the chip monkey. Um, so I checked all the settings, reset everything, changed it to where my computer now is always set for American Eastern standard time, no matter what. And uh, yeah, my my producer's like, dude, I've recorded hundreds of episodes of podcasts and I've not had as much problems as you have. but uh it's part of the part of the journey especially when you're kind of dumb guy like me well you know the only way that you learn is by failing multiple multiple times bro that's the story of my life i mean i almost failed out of high school 
and I feel like I'm doing okay for myself now, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like I learn all the things not to do by doing them the wrong way the first time, but then I, I move past it and I've got that knowledge base. You know what I mean? Übung macht the Meister. It's German. Practice makes the master, basically. Oh, I like that because the idea that practice makes perfect, I think that, uh, you know, I understand the sentiment behind it, but if you think that you're going to be perfect at anything, you know, you might be for like a fleeting moment, but that practice makes perfect. You can shove that up your ass. You Perfection know, can never be attained, man. Yeah. The, um, practice with the intent not, of being a master, because even a master fails. My my kayak teacher talks about that you can't teach anybody somebody who thinks they know everything, because your mind's just totally closed off to that there's any possibility of learning, so you won't learn. So you can never you can never be perfect. Nobody's perfect, and that's yeah. the beauty. It would suck if people were just perfect all the time. Well, I mean, if everybody was perfect then people would, you know, when they start giving you those job sheets in second grade or third grade or whenever it is that they start ridic- ridiculously asking people, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Um, you know, people would know when they were in third grade, I want to be this and that's it. And they would have laser focus. Nothing would move them from that goal. And I mean, some people are like that, but that's that's rare. Um, I would now be a nuclear physicist. You would be I a nuclear physicist, but like... <laughs> You wouldn't have had the the trips and the adventures and the ups and downs and the learning by failing and the you know what I mean like life is beautiful the hardship life is beautiful (laughs) because of the detours you know Um, yeah and you've taken some interesting ones so let's talk about it a little bit Uh, we'll start with my first guest on the show was Paul Brogan co-founder of Rivertown Adventures which is also a sponsor of this show. And the other co-founder is the guy I'm talking to now. Hi, Nate. What's up, Chris? You were in your 30s, just starting your 30s when you started that up? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, give us give us just the Reader's Digest version of where you were right before that happened. All right. Well, I had worked for the city. Um, a local township city of East Lansing in the water department total. I worked for the city for 13 years. Uh, I was in the water department for eight years and it was a great job at all the security and everything in the world, but it just wasn't like, I, I was always looking for my passion, you know, like right. something that drove me. Right. And I'd always been, been uh, interested in more business ventures. Yeah. Like things. Um, and uh i was getting ready to do something new i didn't know what it was going to be then my my dad got sick and mm. ultimately passed away yeah. and um yeah i just i knew that at that point i knew that life was short and right. um i had made a promise to my dad um on uh actually the last last words i had with my dad were you know dad you told me a long time ago that you just never want uh, to see me sell myself short. And, uh, yeah, I promise you, I, I won't sell myself short. I'll, uh, I'll go out there and take some risks and, and, you know, see if I can blossom. And, um, so I was in that sort of mindset 
And about a, a month later, Paul calls me up one day and he's like, dude, uh, I was just kind of looking over over Craigslist. And I, I found something interesting. It said turnkey business. And, you know, they're selling like eight kayaks and six, eight canoes or something like that. And um, <clears throat> we didn't end up buying that stuff, but it just kind of like it was the seed of an idea that was like, huh. You know, we could like transport people around and and really explore like this whole Lansing area, and uh, nobody really does that right now. And yeah, like this yeah, could be a good idea. Yeah, because Paul always says that you know people the first time they come down there, they're always like, "Wow, this this feels like being up north." Yeah, I mean, you go out on the river, and you could be three hundred yards from where you grew up but it's a totally different view from the river. And so we, we were out there just like, man, like we might have something here. Like this is, this is cool. And um, so originally so you guys, was, before that you started this out, did you guys go like, like rent a couple of kayaks or buy a couple of kayaks and just go cruising the river? And you know, the, the summer before we went camping up North a couple of times and we went kayaking up there and then, um, then we also there was one small company that did stuff like on the weekends in yeah. Lansing, and um, so we had rented from them. I remember we went out there before. the one time, and I, I, I <laughs> yeah, tipped. you you, you tipped. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we um, we we had just like kind of went around and uh, had like some adventures around the area and tried it out, and we thought it was cool and like. The idea just kind of like it was planted back then and then um we wanted to take it all to like the next level do like the the shuttle service like they do in northern michigan towns like actually have like this big livery and you know really uh try to make like a, a cohesive seven day a week business out of it right and so originally i was just i was going to stay with the city and um and just like fund this and we were going to find a way to to get it to work while i was staying with the city right but then i i i had this moment and uh i i was um i was watching batman uh mm -hmm. the dark knight rises and there's a part in that movie where batman is stuck in the the hole in, the, in his cage or in, yeah. in the jail and um he has to he has to climb out of the out of there um and make like this impossible jump at the end and he tries twice and he fails and he gets caught by the rope and you know uh he's all distressed gotham's gonna gonna uh, blow up if he doesn't make it back and uh finally the wise guy in the jail goes you know what you have to do it or else fear will find you again you have to do it without the rope yeah. And uh so I was one day talking with my buddy AJ and uh I was at work and it was lunchtime and I'm like, dude, just have this feeling like this job is my rope. <laughs> and uh I I think I need to I need to quit this job. Like I this is my safety net. I can't have the safety net. Like I need to I need to just jump and see if I can fly. Yeah. And so um that day i was like you know what? i'm gonna commit to this i'm gonna commit and uh paul and i are gonna do this together and um i walked right into the 
uh, human resources department at the city and was like, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, two weeks from tomorrow is going to be my last day. And the woman was like, hey, yeah, right. What are, um, what are you really here for? It's like, no, seriously, I, I'm done. <laughs> I, I got a new opportunity and I'm going to jump at it. And it she's looking at you like, did Brian put you up to this? <laughs> yeah. She's like, nobody leaves this job. They call it golden handcuffs. And so, um, yeah, I, I just jumped and didn't really, didn't really look back. And, you know, that's where, that's where the, it all began. <laughs> all right. So, when you take a take a move like that, what is the consensus, or what are the, the the different opinions that people are giving you? Like when they when they hear like you're leaving a job like that to go into what? Oh, everybody said I was crazy. Everybody was like, "What the what the hell are you doing?" Like, I, I, not everybody. I had a few friends that were like, "Dude, like, oh man, like that's that's awesome. Like, what? I can't wait to see what happens." You know, kind of like, oh, we're glad you got out of the out of the rat race or whatever it is. Um, so you've got people on both sides like cheering you on, and people be like, "Dude, go back." Uh-uh, don't yeah, I it. mean, ninety percent, ninety percent of people were like, "Dude, no." I mean, it, no, seriously, seriously, like rescind that. Like, don't don't quit your job for this. And like the the really rational, logical choice is not to not to do that. But yeah, um, uh, you know, I mean, I. If you don't take a risk, you don't have a chance. And right. um, if you don't change, then nothing's going to change for you in mm-hmm. life. And so it's just like it's kind of one of those little moments that you just you know you turn and take a right instead of continuing straight or on the left yeah. path, and you stick with it. And it's it's just gonna it's gonna affect the future. It's gonna change. You have no idea how it's gonna sprout out, but um, you know it just starts sprouting. And then if the more and more that you, you plant there, the more and more that sprouts back to you. Yeah. You take, uh, <laughs> you're taking all these different opinions and you guys get this thing started and then it turns into not just a viable business, but something that you guys are like rushing to keep up with pretty much that whole first season, right? Well, yeah, we started with, <sighs> I was eight kayaks and six canoes that we, we bought brand new from Menards. And, um, the first like four days didn't people would walk by. I think we had like our uh, guy that became, ended up becoming a really good friend of ours, uh, Danny and his brother, um, go out and, uh, uh, like they were like our first customers for maybe like the first three or four days. And then on the weekend, um, all of a sudden we're like whoa we have all the boats out on the water and other people are asking us for to rent like we need more so go out by double the fleet by six more canoes and eight more kayaks and um then the next weekend found (laughs) all the boats are out on the water again and people are asking for more so go out and buy like double the like 24 more kayaks or whatever it was. And um, so we effectively like quadrupled the size of the business in uh, the first month. And it was just kind of, it was surreal. Um, 
what was going on. Then we needed more. Like as you grow, you got these growing pains where you, you know, oh, we can't do all this with just one vehicle. Now we need two. And the bigger it gets, does it get more exciting, more stressful? Like, which, which is both. it more like, wow, this is great. Or is it like, oh, shit, there's so much more to do. And this is for real. And like, this is like no backing out now. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think it's all of that. Um, at, at first, it's like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, oh, you're like, dude. Um, what stars in your eyes looking towards the future? Like, what could it all be? Yeah. Um, and yeah but i i think with anything it, the more and more it just becomes a part of you like it, mm-hmm. it's another thing that you do and um so you kind of live and live and breathe it and um then it's kind of up to you where you're going to take it from there how you're gonna how you're gonna react with it so so how long were you doing the business before you started to get the itch again where you're like hmm maybe this isn't maybe this isn't exactly it for me um yeah i think about three years in i where it it started for me to be just like it started to be more of a a job rather than this thing that was like oh we're exploring we're passionate and we're getting this and it was just uh i wasn't anymore like on the front lines per se and you know i mean it it was all fun i mean i i had fun the whole time but it was just my in the back of my mind going like yeah this isn't i I didn't plan on doing this forever Mm -hmm. uh and um i still want to i still would love to be a part of this no matter what but um you know i just knew that i wanted to go out and really expand my my personal sphere yeah, uh, more well, because you had told me that in in the in the off seasons you were going around and you were traveling and seeing things and you're just yeah. kind of getting this sense of like man the world is so much bigger i don't really want to be stuck in lansing yeah i i had i had been in the same five mile radius of where i had lived my whole life yeah um that this, For up and, until that point 30 plus years right yeah yeah and um yeah I, I i didn't go away for college i didn't do any of that and so i just had always had this thing in the back like i'm just i really want to get out and see the world i love mountains i i my family go out to colorado every year I, i'm just obsessed with like you look at mountains and just all that potential of mm. things to explore things to see and, and things to do mm. and um it just it just attracts me i, I love being out in nature and um and, you know i i got to do some traveling in the off season but um yeah i i just yeah, you're texting me pictures of you uh you out in the field and mountains and behind you with a guitar in your hand yeah yeah I, at that point like I, I remember telling you i i was out there trying to find myself i was looking for something and you know there even though i had a lot of good things going there was just kind of this emptiness inside of like there's something i'm looking for and i'm not sure what it is and so that you know in that little it just kept on growing kept on growing mm-hmm. and growing and finally i just came to the realization i wasn't personally i wasn't taking care of myself very well and i was just having a lot of these negative effects from just kind of having like this hole this 
growing like and i'm trying to cover it up with you know whatever else and yeah because um, you know for for somebody that doesn't know and we didn't start out with this or anything but you're uh you're kind of a goal-driven guy if i had to describe you just like as an overarching personality you're a goal-driven kind of person and you'll set a goal like i want to be the best at um i almost said jujitsu uh uh taekwondo and you became a black belt you're like i want to learn how to play the guitar you learn how to play the guitar and you know you can solo and do the stuff that people are like man i wish i could do that uh you wanted to start a business you started a business became very successful won awards grew and grew and grew and grew such and such and such and such so i would imagine that at some point you're not the kind of guy that like looks at the things that you've done and go isn't that great but the kind of person who goes what am i going to do now yeah i mean i I, um, I'm very cynical of my, myself a lot of times. And, um, so I, I'm always like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be stuck in the same place. You know, I want the walls to be broken down. Yeah. That seems and, like the theme so far. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's just, it's kind of what, what I do. And now I'm starting to recognize, you know, like know yourself, I'm starting to recognize like these different little cycles of kind of where I'm at on, on things that I'm doing, things that I'm yeah. learning, um, things, you know, I, I think with anything you can get burnt out with stuff. And I tend to go hardcore. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to freaking do it. Yeah. And so, um, I like, I'll, well, you know, where you're going with this, or at least where it sounds like you're going with this kind of reminds me of, um, when I was talking to Mike Bryman on an episode, the he's a visual effects artist um he talks about you know having this just creative push where he wants to find new things and get really good at doing them but once he gets good at doing them he doesn't feel satisfaction just doing that thing over and over again and so he's worked at some places where people are like dude i would kill to work there and he's like yeah it was cool but then it didn't feel that great anymore so i went and found something that made me feel that way again yeah, I mean, I think everything and anything becomes a job at some point. But, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it really has to do with, uh, kind of like hit this plateau. And there are horizons in the distance. But once you kind of hit a plateau where you're like, oh, like that's that's really cool. But then you can look around and you can see all these other horizons that you might want to you might want to do, too. So like, hey, it's cool. We climbed to this plateau, but we didn't climb Everest. OK, you yeah. know, so. Um, and but Everest is still out there in the future. It could definitely could definitely be, you know, yeah. but, you know, right now I want to go climb K2 or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, I, so, you're I, going, I, so you're going and you're looking for that thing. You get the business to a point where you guys had to. It's probably more now, but at the point that you um, stopped working there full time, how many how many employees were there after you left, including Paul? Uh, well, we had a, a team the last year of at one point, I think, 18 people. OK, so uh, you, you got the company really to a point where it was well staffed. It seemed like it was a pretty well oiled machine, like the the many times that I had been there. I never came across somebody who worked there who didn't know what they were doing and had to like wait for somebody to come help them or give them an answer. So, you know, that business became a, a 
a solid, functional, well-run machine, and you're like, okay, man, this thing, this thing doesn't need me anymore. What, what can I do that I can add value to, right? Because that's your whole thing with the Jim Rohn guy was, you know, add value to yourself, add value to the things that you are a part of, right? Yeah. Yeah, and just so people understand, uh, Jim Rohn is my this mentor that I found bef- while I was working at the city. Um, Chris knows this well about me, but while I was working at the city, and I highly recommend anybody going to check him out, R-O-H-N, find him on YouTube. Um, but uh, he's a business philosopher that's all about just make yourself better. You know, um, it's not, don't get things out there to change, change yourself and things out, outside of yourself will change. Yeah. If you, um, if you want more money, make, have more skills, you know, learn more things, do, yeah, do things more valuable, have, do things where you can say like, I can do this, this, and this, you should pay me more. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, uh, that that's been my overarching philosophy of things in the back of my head is just like looking for this next thing that can challenge me to grow in some way. Right. Um, and I, yeah, my life is some, for some reason, like dominated by superhero movies. Um, <laughs> Cause one day I, you know, there was one day where I was sitting at home um early morning we didn't have anything like it's off season everything's shut down like there's a lot of just drama going on in the whole business environment with the city and all this stuff yeah and um i had been pretty depressed pretty down for a while i've been kind of uh pulling away from a lot of social things that uh, i would have been at and um uh i i'm laying in bed in the morning really hung over <laughs> um and watching x-men apocalypse and there's a part at the end of the movie where like professor x is he's like can't help it all he's like knocked out and um uh like they're all trying to fight apocalypse who's like the greatest mutant ever and it's they're about to he's about to destroy the whole world and, and professor x can only communicate with gene through his head and right. he's like gene you've got to let out your power and she's all afraid because she knows she has this power but she's afraid of like how much it could be and yeah. he's like you've got to let it all out gene and then you have this moment where like gene's like just realizes it and walks out and then she's walking out of the room and then she walks on air and she starts flying and like like she just like screams like ah! like one of those things and it just hit me i had seen the movie before and i wasn't really super impressed but this time just hit me and I just like start. I started bawling, <laughs> and I'm like, I got so much more in me. I can, I know I can let it out. Right. And um, <laughs> I just, it was that this that was the moment right there where I was like, all right, it's time. It's time to make a change. Time to, I, I want to get back in shape. I want to 
I want to challenge myself. I want to finally travel. Because this whole time, the whole time I was at the city, the whole time when we started the business, my my idea was like five years later, I want to I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to be free to go, kind of travel and do something new. Yeah. And um, and it finally just hit that point, and it was uh, it was a really really rough time for me like personally like trying to figure out what in the world is going on like and um i the luckily through through just like good having good people around and a good support system and people who believed in me i didn't uh and people who didn't believe in me too <laughs> i heard a lot of that but um you know they uh they just said go you have to follow your heart and so I I started this process that um, because of my buddy AJ again, um, he's also a, a good guiding light. He's a guide. He's an outdoor guide, and he got me interested in the guiding industry. And because uh, he started- was doing stuff for a long time with uh, well with different companies, but he was like taking people in and out of the Grand Canyon on like weekend overnight trips and stuff. Yep, and he was a guide up in Yellowstone for a little while, and then. He got this job uh, working for Backroads, and then he was like, he was sent to Europe and and uh, rides bikes and and stays in all these nice places in Europe and guides and does yeah. it super well. And I was just like, man, like that is awesome. And he was he was just kind of like helping me out. He's like, dude, apply. Like you're perfect for this. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll I'll try. So I go through the whole application thing and um. And like I get accepted past the first step. There's five steps of it. And like I start to get geeked. So start going to the gym more. And part of the thing about like going to Europe is they hope they you have a better chance if you speak another language. So I just started like I just shut myself in my room and just started like like full on um, You went like you full went like on French. You went like <laughs> ufc training camp but for learning french yeah yeah i mean i i tried to get myself people uh, you woke up and you just worked out yeah all day long just practice ubung makes mock the minute the meister (laughs) um that's that's not french well that's german (laughs) (laughs) that's that's further down the line (laughs) wow you're Um, terrible at french (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, I just tried to, I'm trying to think of the word right now, but where you uh, um, fully immerse yourself. Yeah. I just tried to do full immersion at my own house and, um, and um, yeah, so I go through the interview process, interview, like two more interviews, these ones online and one in person, one through like a, a pre-recorded questionnaire and they pick me to go out to San Francisco like this is like a one in, I think it's like one in 10,000 people make it to that stage. Um, and so I, I'm just like, this is destiny. This is like, oh yeah, like it's, it's happening. But I put all this work into like learning how to fix bikes and get my language down. I joined a French club and all this. And long story short, I get out there and it's just totally different setup than I was expecting. I probably should have done a little bit more homework on on it all, but yeah, they didn't you're, care. You're training McGregor, and you get Khabib. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they uh, they did not care 
at all like anything about they didn't even ask me about the languages they didn't even ask me to fix bikes worked so hard on all that um they didn't ask me like we didn't have a sit down interview or anything like that it was just me in a room of the of a hundred of the most outgoing people that you've ever met in your life and it's just a challenge to see who's all trying to be the friendly most each other yeah and <laughs> you know i i dressed up not overly dressed but it said business casual so i went with business casual from what i understand being business casual right and i walk in there and everybody all the staff the owner and all other hundred people are all in like sandals and shorts and t-shirts and i'm like it just i everything was just thrown off balance and i didn't end up getting the the job it it crushed me i'm in san francisco by myself thinking like i put all my eggs in this basket right and i'm i'm just like i did I make because yeah, you already, you already told everybody at Rivertown you're like, hey man, I'm I'm leaving to do this. Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't like, I'm gonna go try this and we'll see if, when I get back what what happens. You're like, I'm out. Yeah, well, I mean, I a lot of this I count like what my direction was gonna be. Paul Paul knew, but um yeah. most people didn't really didn't really know what was going on in my life at that point. Yeah. But um uh the um I I just felt like crushed like did i make the wrong decision should i just go back and like crawl back and say like oh i'm sorry i made a mistake or you know what what can i do right and i'm talking to aj and he's like oh man, you really didn't get the job that sucks man but guess what i just got an email from this guy in alaska and uh i was gonna work with him but i ended up getting the backroads job so i took that instead but i got an email and Trent says that he needs uh, two people to be guides up in Seward, Alaska, in the Kenai Fjords National Park. And at first, I'm like, Alaska? Who wants to go to Alaska? It's cold up there. What? Like, I didn't. Again, you can't teach somebody who thinks they know everything. Yeah. You're and, like, dude, we just got out of winter in Michigan. I don't want to go <laughs> in Alaska. Like, dude, I'm trying to go south. You're sending me stuff of all, like, the Caribbean and, like, places that you're in in Europe where, like, it's nice. Like, I don't want to go where, like, it's, there's ice everywhere. And, um, but he's like, dude, no, seriously, like, you got to you got to check this out. And so. Uh, and you, you've got the background for it already. You want to travel? You've got the kayaking background? Yeah. Well, I, I had recreational kayaking background i didn't realize what <laughs> like what i was getting into i had a little experience in a sea kayak like doing sea kayak stuff in the river um with a good friend of mine trey and I tell you, i flip those kayaks all the time <laughs> and yeah. they're they're really unstable if you don't know what you're doing but um uh yeah so i'm going up there and well I, at this point i didn't have the job i just applied and i sit down with uh trent and hannah over a skype interview and which i was i totally i was having a horrible day that day when they set up this interview right and um i i thought it was an hour later 
and they're texting me like 15 minutes into like when it was supposed to be and like are we oh, time zone difference uh misunderstanding yeah yeah oh, boy. and uh i'm just like man but i get in the interview and they're just like two of the most happy bubbly nice awesome people that you could ever meet in your life and um yeah immediately i'm like huh okay like this could be cool and we're going through the interview and i'm just like man like this really does sound cool i'm like is there a chance i might see whales and uh, <laughs> and trent's like uh yeah, well, we can't guarantee anything, but you have a very high likelihood of seeing whales up here. All right. Awesome. And <laughs> you know, so I end up getting the job and it's it's this is almost the beginning of the season. So 12 days later, I'm shipping out to to Alaska. I didn't have time right. to prepare, learn anything like you had all like set up these um, these presentations and stuff like that for yeah. our training. And um I I didn't have any of that. So it was just like this whole like boom. It really was like I'm on this street going to the left and all of a sudden boom, I'm heading right and going far north. And yeah, you know, I, I get there uh after a long day of flying, and it is just absolutely the most spectacular thing I've ever seen. And that kind of starts the the next leg of the journey. <laughs> All right. So between not getting the first job and then getting the job in Alaska, how much time goes by? Not be- not before you actually get there, but just between like, sorry, you didn't get the job and you're hired. How much time? Um, I got set up with an interview uh, two days later. So basically that Saturday, like, I think I was on the plane and AJ sent me the email thread and I, I emailed that day and they got back to me and they set up a, I think I was leaving on a Friday and they set me up to have a, we did the whole thing backwards. So they set me up to have an interview on Sunday. So that was two days later. Then then they were like, okay, now go on our website and fill out an application. And then, or no, <laughs> they did my background check after that. And then the last thing they had me do was fill out the application. And then two days later, um, like it was a week-long process of that. And then like they called me, I think it was a whole after the week, they said, we'd like to offer you the job. And I said, give me 24 hours to just fully think this over and make sure that this is what I want to do. And, uh, I think I got off the phone and like an hour later, I was like, yep, now this is, this is what I want to do. And, um, started looking at, I had no idea what I was getting into. No idea. Um, I get there. I have to do the woofer training and well, hold on real quick, real quick from, from when you got hired to when you actually show up there, how much time is that? 12 days. Okay, so everything's happening pretty fast. It's not like, all right, well, I've got a month or two to figure out. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was like pack everything up, you know, get uh, get all of my stuff in order that I can uh, before I go, but it's happening quick. Like, I remember yeah. I, I remember calling Trent uh, and telling him that I accepted the job, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is real. It's happening. 
it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I mean, it was just, it was so quick. It was like this quick turnaround and I found myself in the guiding industry and it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's where the, the next leg all started. So tell me about what you called uh, your guiding boot camp a little bit. Okay, well, so, uh, we had to um, first get my woofer certificate, wilderness first responder. Um, and it's a 10-day, eight-hour-a-day class um, with like all these like training scenarios and like cpr certifications and learning how to give shots and like it's um i have more authority out in the back country uh with that certificate than a doctor um (laughs) because like i'm the person in charge and all that like i there's certain protocols that you follow out in the that's a scary thought yeah like (laughs) i didn't go to school for 10 days for you to tell me how to do my job you know (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah it, it's just this whirlwind of information like you have to you just start out like learning all of this stuff about like how to prevent like if somebody broke their leg out in the back country and there's nothing that like you know you're six hours away from any sort of help really uh and like it, a lot of times helicopter there's only like 11 helicopters in alaska that do the stuff and so in alaska is a big place so um there's just a lot of like really bad things that can happen so you have to be on your game you have to know how to like keep somebody alive for a little bit of time luckily that never happened to me but um you know circulation sensation and movement that was my yet like you want to make sure that they have circulation getting to the place that's broken uh right. sensation and that they can move it otherwise if one of those if any of those things isn't working then that limb is going to die at some point <laughs> and so you're like you try you have to get all be able to get that stuff to happen um yeah. uh, like to keep their limb you have to save life and limb and mm-hmm. luckily i mean it's pretty safe when you go out and do these trips. Otherwise, like they wouldn't be making be a huge guiding carton people out there every day. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, there are there are definitely hazards. There's cold water shock. There's all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, we had to learn all that, and then you get done. You have like I think we had like one day in between, and um, uh, and then we start guiding school, which is a three week three week process of just learning everything you can about the area, learning everything you can about the weather, how to read water, how to, um, how to take good pictures, <laughs> how to, what, what do you mean? Read water. Um, like read the currents. Um, there's currents in the ocean and everything like re- read, um, read the tides, um, understand where the tides are going and whether you're going, coming in or going out. Because if, if the tides are coming in and you think they're going out and you plant your boat on the beach, when you come back after a little hike, your boat's not going to be there. Right. <laughs> so, um, just uh, you have to know all that stuff. You have to understand, like, uh, understand so when there's big boats coming around, like that. Three minutes later, there's going to be a wave that's going to be coming. Its wake is going to hit you, even though that boat is a mile away. It it's going to send that force over to you. So you're always on par with that because, like, 
a lot of the people that we take out are first time or novice kayakers at best. Yeah. Cause even c- common sense won't help you if you, if you just don't have a knowledge base, common sense is good for a lot of things, but it doesn't replace knowledge in, in all circumstances. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, it's all about safety out there. So you're learning all of this stuff, but it's so much new information that's just being thrown at you. And then we have to go out and, um, and actually be ACA certified kayakers. And, it's not the craziest program ever, but it's tough. I mean, I like we're out there and some of these waves that we're, we're out in, um, you know, we have like two to four foot waves coming in on some days and we're out there trying to learn. And these, the your kayak- butts even with the surface of the water. So a two to a four foot wave probably looks pretty intimidating when, when you're sitting down and with your yeah. legs trapped in a boat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when I say like you're not sitting there in four foot breaking waves sideways or whatever like that, I mean right. you're out there in like you know two to four foot swell, which normally it will just go under you and everything, but it moves you around. Um, and a a four, a four foot wave is like twice twice the distance from above your head, and then a two foot wave is roughly about your head head uh, when you're sitting in a kayak. But um, and the waters at this point it's early april um so <laughs> the water alaska. southern alaska but still alaska yeah uh or maybe it's like end of april at this point but it's um a the water i think when we started was 45 degrees somewhere around there Ooh. uh it, at the end of the summer it got up to like 62 or something but um That'll make your outsides turn to insides. We're in dry suits, and it's my first time in a dry suit. You get like they have these rubber things that just like choke you around your neck if it's not cut perfectly for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just freaked out about going under Wait, the water. You have, you have to pee into the dry suits because people pee in wetsuits, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that, but no, you don't pee in the dry suit because dry suit okay. keeps okay. No, dry suit sorry. is a, la- a layer that keeps like. I've heard that before that like if you're in cold weather in a wetsuit, you're supposed to pee in it. Like, uh, I don't know. People, so people wet... in Northern California pee in their wetsuits when they surf, or that's what I've heard. Sorry. That's weird. No, but... no cal surfers if that's if Me, I'm throwing I... shade. So here here's the difference. A wetsuit keeps your body wet. If your body in the wetsuit, you put a, a layer of water between you and the suit, and then your body right, right your body uh heats up that layer of water and that becomes right. insulation a dry suit is your insulation from that cold water so you, it keeps all the water out so you but want, you're still you don't want to on your neck on your head on your hands your feet or whatever yeah, yeah. and i mean you wear stuff to try to keep yourself warm but dry. there's only a, a certain there's only a certain amount but actually when you're out there and you're layered up like you have we had like three layers of pants on like four layers of shirts on yeah. under the dry heart rates up and there are times you're out there and it's so hot that you're like i gotta get in the water to cool down yeah but at that point i don't have a role i mean I, they're not even teaching us a role i barely know how to brace the kayak and everything so i'm just like you know trying to stay center the whole time i thought i was king kayak going up there and I get up there, and out of 14 people, I'm probably the worst. <laughs> like, they actually had, they put up uh, uh, weekly, like, um, like votes, voting. Uh, and they yeah. have, like, fun questions. And one of them was, 
who's the most likely to tip in front of their guests, to capsize in front of their guests. And I got by far <laughs> marked as the one that was going to capsize in front of my guests. <laughs> so, and like, I'm freaked out. Cause like, if you capsize, I'm out in the middle of the ocean. And, and like, like the only way to, for me to get back in at that point, from what I know and my abilities is to have some of my guests help me. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that good of a kayaker. A little help. Yeah. I'll give you a tip back. If you tip me back over. Yeah. It would just be, it would just be so embarrassing and like everything. So I, I'm sure Trent had his own questions about me at first, but you go through the training and I, you know, by the end of the, the, um, the training, uh, we were all pretty good at like, if we did tip, we can get back in our boats by ourselves and, and like the cowboy up and all that. Actually, the last thing we had to do on our last day of training was um, go out there just in our, just in our uh, um, like regular clothes that we would wear outside and yeah. go out in the kayak, paddle out about 50 yards and all 14 of us uh, all counted to three. And you all had to dump your kayak and in street clothes and feel the full brunt of that cold water. Ugh. And then um, then get back in your kayak, paddle back to shore. And that was I the polar plunge was the one that I was a little worried about. But yeah, two people was, died in that, right? <laughs> uh no, no. <laughs> it's all very safe. But um, yeah. So that was that was interesting. And then, then after that, we had our final uh, guide uh, training trip where we go out in the wilderness for, for five days and uh, live on a beach, camp on a beach. And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm picturing all this, like camping on a beach. It sounds cool. Like, you know, we're thinking like Lake Michigan style camping on a beach. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dunes all around, everything's going to be just fine. We get on this boat, and my previous experience on a boat was one time, and I got seasick. And <laughs> so I'm like freaked out about that first. But, um, and I have no idea what we're doing. I have no idea where we're going. I, I have like a little idea of what they told us we're doing, but I'm basically a guest at this point. I'm, you know, I'm, I have no idea what's coming up. We go 40, 40 miles around uh, this southern Cape, and uh, in, to the next bay over we're on resurrection bay we go down like um all the way around and like we're i find out we're on a part of my guiding thing is we're on a whale watching boat hmm. and we go out and we start the day with like adventures checking out wildlife <laughs> I, I don't know anything about any of these wildlife but it's like whoa like this is this is real like I, it was never real to me until we got out there on that boat for the first time yeah and then i'm like i'm looking all around like like a little kid she's like where's a whale i want to see a whale and finally like off in the distance it's like, <laughs> uh, and it's like you know, the whale spouting and um what kind of whales did they have out there uh we had humpback whales which were um those are like the really well yeah they're not the biggest but they're big right they're big they're like the like, size I mean, all whales are pretty big but yeah a humpback's like 40 to 50 feet long 
and uh, waves. Well. So it's like a school bus. Yeah, that's what I would bus. always say. Like whenever we saw that, saw a whale, I would tell the people after their whale moment was done. You don't interrupt somebody's whale moment, but after it's done, yeah. then you go. Right. You know what you just saw going through the water. That is, you know, picture for yourself a school bus that you drove to that you went to school on in the morning. Uh, that is basically the size of that whale that you just saw <laughs> swimming right next to us. Um, yeah, and I, like it's really an insane experience. And then, then I like that somebody's whale moment. Yeah, is that what you guys actually call it that, or yeah, yeah, it's a whale moment. So hmm. a lot of times, this is the first time that somebody's seen a whale, and you want them to take in everything. You want them yeah. to remember that experience, and especially to... in that environment. Because the first time I ever saw a whale, and like it wasn't like at Sea World or something, um, in a natural setting, was on an aircraft carrier, and it was still cool. But it was from high up, and it was you know on an aircraft carrier, so it wasn't like, hey, stop and take a picture. It was like, hey, get back to work. There's a plane taking off. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the, those people are out there. They have a lot of anticipation and a lot of the stuff that, you know, you learn uh, as a guide is to really let people enjoy their moments because they're not out there for me. Like they're not, right. <laughs> they didn't come all this way to just have me be their show. Like as pleasant it, as you may be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to be nice, but, and uh, a little goofy, but, um, it's tough, <laughs> but yeah. you know, um, if they have that moment, it's it, it's magical, and then they can think back to it. And then all that I try to do is amplify it, where you know, I can. It's called interpretation, where I give them a sense of what they're actually seeing or what they just saw, and you know the how the land forms around them affect yeah. why those whales come in to to feed in this area how we're in the fjords and you know fjord is created by glaciers and, and all this stuff it, it, you really you want to paint a good picture for the people and that's that's what they'll really take with them in that memory is these pictures in their mind um and so speaking of pictures i want to cut you off just real quick because <clears throat> I'm, I'm rude and i do that uh the pictures that i saw on your instagram from the time that you were there um it looked like a lot of the pictures that you were taking were from like group trips when you were out there experiencing it for the first time yourself. So when you're out there experiencing that for the first time yourself, do you see that in people's faces when they do it and like get that same, like mm, the first time you saw it, like at least a little piece of that? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of time it brings me back to, um, to the first time that I saw an orca. And this is just yeah. right after we saw the humpback. Um, I think this will answer your question pretty well. Um, I we're, we're seeing this pot of orcas go by, and you know, I'm seeing like the the at first the fins come up, and then like you see like the white on their side and everything. It's like no way. Like I never ever ever imagined thought that i would ever see an orca in the wild in my life and, yeah. and it's just like that is super cool and then they, they stop the boat while you're on there and so they stop the boat they shut off the engine so you're just, just kind of floating around you're like part of everything and then they they have a hydrophone on the boat where they drop this microphone for the water 
down into the water. And all of a sudden, you start hearing this. (laughs) Like the whales talking to each other that we're watching going by. Yeah, uh-huh. I it brought a tear to my eye. Like I started cry, like crying. Oh Tears yeah, the boat, uh, I forget. Like I was like, where'd the microphone? But it's a whale watching boat. Yeah, it's set up for all that. Yeah, it's yeah. set for wildlife stuff. So it's, it's just got like the speakers up on the deck, and you're just hearing that. Well, it's uh, they just connect the microphone to this speaker that they hold, and then there's yeah. they're holding that there, and but you can hear it like if as long as you're anywhere close to it, and right, right, just like. <laughs> it was just so it it was the most surreal moment i've i think i've ever experienced and um you know not just to hear a whale song but to hear it like singing it as it's as yeah, it's wow. actually going on like i, I like yeah. possibly talking about hey look there's a microphone in the water <laughs> yeah yeah they're smart smart creatures they know what's going on around there like they 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 have a I've heard people talk about their language, like saying that their language is uh, indecipherable to humans as of so far, but it's, they know it's very complex. Yeah. Well, each, so each orca pod is like the family and they each, and they all kind of have their own, they have their own call. And so there's three types of orcas. There's transients, there's offshore and there's residents. Um, so they, and they all eat different things. Um, and they all speak their own language too. Um, so the, the offshores are like, they're the ones like they go, they eat like the great whites and stuff like that. Like they're like the kind of the, they're the ones that travel like thousands of miles a year. Yeah. They're the badass. They just go everywhere and they just like do like, you know, and then your, your residents, um, are the ones that they just eat fish. And uh, they split off like 250,000 years ago between the residents, the transients and the offshores. And then the transients um, will they eat like um, like your seals and stuff like that. Offshores eat pretty much anything. But um, yeah, they uh, and then each pod within those different types of orcas, each pod, each family. They have a number of different calls, but um, one of them is like, and we think it's how they locate each other, but they send out like their family name and that's basically their call. And it'll, they'll all have their own variation of this same call. And it, they'll call that out when they want to regroup or when they're just looking for the other one and they can hear it. I, I forget the exact numbers now, but it's from like miles and miles away. Yeah, I just saw something that said dolphins can hear sounds underwater from 15 miles away. Yeah, it's probably the same. It might even be like 50 miles away or 100. It's like it could be something like that, but I don't want to go too overboard here. But it's a long way. And sound travels more efficiently through water. Right, right. um, Then their their brains are much more complex than ours. There's the like mushroom kind of... uh, gaps or whatever in your head like the sponge or whatever looking stuff you know what i'm talking about where you're talking about like all the folds in your brain yeah all the folds there yeah, theirs yeah. are much deeper and everything because like they're they're seeing the world through their eyesight which is very good um mm-hmm. and 
they're getting the sense of smell and everything from everything in the water, but then they're also getting that like 3D um or what 4D or whatever it is through like the um the echo uh yeah, their sonar. Yeah, in the water. Um and it just they they'll they'll make like a clicking noise and they can hear the click come back, right? Yeah, yeah. And we would we heard that when we heard like the uh, um, I mean, just like uh, just like if you go on a fishing boat and you see an image of what it looks like underneath the fishing boat, they can see that basically. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And they, uh, like, they can tell uh, when a woman is pregnant before a woman can, and <laughs> uh, especially like dolphins will show extra attention to a woman's stomach when, um, right when like a woman's pregnant, they know that there's a baby in there. Like there's like, um, orcas and dolphins are are about as smart as each other yeah well yeah with all the same same kind of things one thing i wanted to say to you because it made me think of it for some reason was i read something somewhere a long time ago i can't remember who it was um that a woman found out she was pregnant because of a store mailer um and you know these they these stories, they, they buy information and they know lots and lots about you just statistically, whatever. And they can tell based on your purchases, this, that, or whatever, like, Oh, this person must be pregnant based on the purchases they've been making. We'll send them mailers for huggies and breast milk formula or, you know, whatever. And she's like, I'm not even pregnant. Why are they sending all, all this stuff? Went and took a pregnancy test and she's like, Oh shit, I'm pregnant. Huh? They, they, and like, yeah, they could tell she was, pregnant before she could not from sonar but just from creepy huh. collection of data on people so orcas are are smarter than that evil marketing genius <laughs> yeah yeah um they've been doing it for thousands of years um but yeah so <laughs> i mean it's just a super surreal amazing moment there uh, and like that's that's kind of what we were talking about with like that, uh, that whale moment, you know? Yeah. So you remember that and you just let people have that and yeah. Kind of try to steal some of their joy too. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. So what, what other, um, wildlife have you seen? Cause I remember looking at your Instagram, you were like showing us the, the, the tail flaps and the spouts. And then you were, yeah. um, Hey, found a, saw a bear today in the woods. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, um, well, you must have had something to like some bear spray or something though, too, right? Yeah, I'd feel a little more confident with bear spray. A little, a little. Um, bear spray. If if you're not like that's a really crazy situation. Like if you were actually gonna be charged by a bear, just think of the yeah. adrenaline and what's going on in your head at that moment. Um, right. Like I I haven't had that moment. I've had moments where I was extremely extremely close to bears, like within a few feet and especially not even knowing it um but uh it's um yeah like you have to think about the wind and or like you have to get downwind from the bear so like when you spray that it's not coming back at you it's going towards the the bear right um, right right um, yeah <laughs> yeah you don't want to spit in the wind yeah we we actually did like a little class on on our training trip um at, yeah, that's a good segue into the next part of the training trip because um, it has to do with like the bears and all of that. Um, uh, we had a we had a fake can of bear spray uh, that 
maybe it was old or whatever, or I think it was just in whatever it was, but to practice and Mm -hmm. you're trying to shoot at stuff and it's not, it's not as strong and it's not as, uh, um, as accurate as you would hope. So, I mean, it's good stuff to have, but, uh, well, it's not, you're, I've heard you're not supposed to spray it directly at the bear, but you're supposed to like make a wall of mist that basically the bear can't charge through or won't want to charge through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of comes out in like this aerosol form it it shoots, but like it's, it becomes like this aerosol. And that's why why I don't want to be downwind. Fire extinguisher kind of. Well, that's why you don't want to be downwind from it because it's not like, right, right, right. It's not like you're shooting a straight stream and it, it's, you know, um, yeah. So uh, we we practiced all that, but um, the the next part of the the training trip. Um, well, I guess I'll answer your question first about the the animals. So, everybody needs to see a puffin in their lifetime lifetime. It's the uh-huh. is the coolest bird that I think I've ever seen. I've ever been around. I, granted, there's a lot of cool birds out there, but puffins are my favorite so far. Um, they'll dive 300 feet down. They'll pick up like they're tiny, tiny little guys, but they they've been found to have like I think it was 47 fish in their mouths at one time. They just dive down <laughs> into the ocean and just pick all these things apart. Um, these super colorful beaks and like they sound like an old man that smoked all of his life. They're like, they're just they're funny funny creatures and they'll be like right next to you and then all of a sudden they'll just pop down and they'll just go shooting under the water and then when they try to fly (laughs) they like run on the water they they have such like fat little bodies where it's tough for them to it's tough for them to get flight so they're like running uh, while they're kind of like a duck well, they like run and everything while they're trying to fly. It's hilarious. But, um, <laughs> so you got the puffins, you have uh, eagles, you have um, uh, a bunch of different types of birds. So we are in the fjords, and the, a fjord I was saying earlier is created by uh, when a glacier had originally like carved that out as it was advancing, and then mm-hmm. as the glacier retreats, it leaves behind that carved out area like a U-shaped valley. Uh, and you yeah. have like uh, in fjords, it's uh, fjord is where the glacier retreated, but the it was below sea level, so the water comes in and fills in the gaps, of the ocean, and yeah. so you just have like these crazy ecosystems where you have hundreds of different types of birds in this one area, you have hundreds of different types of fish and hundreds of different types of, I mean thousands and like there's millions of organisms and everything that live in these areas, so they're just super super rich. Uh, beautiful places for for every type of animal that you can think of yeah sea yeah. lions um that just hang out on the on the <laughs> on the rocks yeah they're like necks and um <laughs> they waddle along and like the seals and and um the sea otters that uh thrive in the cold water up there it's um uh, it's just there's stuff to see for for every everybody who's interested in in wildlife yeah it's uh i'll try to uh, otters are pretty fun to to um (laughs) to watch because they dive down to like the bottom and they pick up shells and they they like use rocks and stuff like that and 
they'll uh to like break shells open and um they just sit on the surface all day and they just bathe and eat and uh sleep and then it sounds pretty nice yeah i tried to do that for a while um (laughs) but yeah then yeah to go along after the like the whale experience and and everything on the on that boat then we get dropped off at this beach uh what they call a beach in alaska um uh that's like about two miles away from this glacier called ialic and we get off and like all it is rocks big like foot foot and a half sharp jagged rocks and (laughs) we're setting up our tents and everything on these rocks and it it was just like this camping experience of never ever i didn't understand what we were getting into and there's ice all around us from the glacier having calved like a ton of water like so like right out in front of us there's just ice um chunks in the water it's super cold it's like 45 degrees it's cloudy it's rainy because we're in a rainforest um right (laughs) and and we're sleeping on rocks and i'm just looking at this going like i'm gonna die like nobody's <laughs> getting out of this like we're gonna get attacked by a bear or something something horrible is gonna happen and like i just could not imagine uh, being living out there for five days i thought i was an outdoors guy and i wasn't and right um you know I, i'm in my tent just like sitting there going like what in the hell did i get myself into and all of a sudden i hear just this super loud thunder this roar like whoa and i think that it's about to just that this is worst case scenario we're about to be in a lightning storm out in the middle of nowhere freezing cold we're all gonna die and you know (laughs) And I get out and I come out of my tent and everybody's smiling. I'm like, what in the what in the hell's wrong with these people? Why are they smiling? Right. <laughs> and we're getting ready to go out on the kayaks now. And I'm like, what the hell are we doing? And what I didn't realize, but I finally figured out once we got close enough, we go out and we're kayaking up to this glacier through all this ice. And that roar is Arctic thunder. And it's the sound of the glacier calving off like these Menard-sized buildings of ice. Uh, and like when they're caving, calving off from like three, four hundred feet above, and they're just dropping into the water and creating these just monstrous roars that sound like thunder. And it, it just once I connected all of this stuff together, it just brought it all together for me. Um, the like awesome. at first they're like yeah we're gonna be around a glacier i'm like oh that that's cool like big chunk of ice, big piece of ice. yeah hey <laughs> i knew nothing knew nothing i still i I still now know that i know nothing but like just the magnificence of these things <laughs> is absolutely insane how big they are and like right. you lose all perspective of I mean, you just lose all perspective of like how how big something can be. I I'm looking at this whole glacier and it's a mile and a quarter wide, 
but it from my perspective it looks like it's a football field and you just keep on getting closer and closer and these tiny tiny little things in there become these monstrous monstrous things a lot of people don't they don't understand like you you're on a boat and you think that uh you're looking at like some ice in the water you're like oh look an iceberg no there's there's actually different levels of what constitute um uh icebergs and like an iceberg is something that's like the size of menards floating in the water um and then that will break down into different different pieces as it as it melts and like those all crack and like the then like you'll have big like like they're called bitty bergs that are near you and these will be whatever size but you know maybe like a a 20 foot 30 20 foot by 30 foot wide chunk of ice it's like right next to you but you got to stay the stay away from those because they are they're uh, melting uh, while you're next to them and sometimes their weight just dramatically shifts <laughs> and so they'll they'll flip they'll break apart they'll they'll just do a lot of weird stuff um so it like just a lot of a lot of stuff to like pay attention to but they're not really that dangerous but here we're like kayaking through all this ice like these ice chunks and like leading the way and leading paths through ice chunks it's it's pretty crazy yeah and to give context to how big a glacier really is i've still never seen one up close um but i saw the picture on your instagram of you wearing those big spiky shoes and like the ski poles with your arms up in the air. Uh, and you're like, I'm on the, was that the, I, what do you call it? Glacier? Uh, I was not. I Alec. Uh, okay. That was, uh, but that was, you're that like, was called, that was exit glacier that I was on when I did those. Yeah. And your caption was something on the such and such glacier. And I'm like, wow, that looks like that piece of ice looks like a mountain. Yeah. It, it, it is a mountain based. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a flowing river of ice. It has like different like currents kind of when you see it over when you see it over uh, uh, time lapse images, like you can see that certain parts of it flow faster and flow different. Um, right. And, you know, there's different types of glaciers. There's ones that are landlocked. There's alpine glaciers. And then there's uh, tidewater glaciers, which is. Um, ones that end in the ocean um and uh <clears throat> that's like what ialic is it ends in the sea um and so just so people aren't freaking out i mean I, climate change is a real thing and it's very real in alaska and you see it you see it very quickly in the glaciers and how they move it's, it's insane how and how big these pieces that break off are <laughs> yeah well so the the calving of ialic actually is a healthy thing it means that it's still being That's fed just, uh, from where the river out leads into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, it, so it, it's calving into the ocean, and it's 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 still pushing forward. Um, so it, that's not necessarily a sign of of uh, like doom for that glacier. Uh, it is a bad thing when you do have you know in Antarctica and in other in a lot of the glaciers you have massive massive calving events that um are just because the glacier isn't stable anymore um but 
uh, IALIC so far, so far has held its ground pretty good over the last hundred years where there's a lot of other glaciers in the area that hadn't, but an exit glacier, the one that I was on in the, that picture you're talking about, that one is one where you can see they have uh, mile posts as you're driving up to it of where it was in 1825 where it was in 1875, where it was in 1915. And like from where it was in 2000 to 2020, it's like, it's basically like sped up by double how quickly it's uh, You could kind of see like a rhythm to the pattern and then all of a sudden, whoa. And I exit's one of the most beautiful glaciers I've seen. It When you see it from while you're driving up there from the uh, the road, um, it's... It's a spectacular, spectacular sight. It'd be a horrible one to, to, um, to lose. Yeah, but that's where I actually had that first bear encounter, though. Uh, where I was like three feet away from a bear. I was hiking back from that, and I'm just walking along the trail, and all of a sudden I hear just a little rustle. I thought it, I thought it was like a maybe like a chipmunk or something in the bushes, and I look over and I just see like this big black spot. And I'm like, what in the world is that? There's just something dark there. And I just start looking up, looking up, and all of a sudden there's this brown circular circular face just staring at me. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, hey bear. <laughs> hey bear. Yeah. Hey bear. Hey bear. So you just want to make sure that they know you're there and you know, slowly walk away. And it it just waited for me to cross on the trail. And then it, it just walked out and it looked over at me. And then it turned around and it looked and it walked the other way. <laughs> so, that was my first real have, close encounter. Did you have even the faintest? And it's okay if you did. One time a cop grabbed me when we were in high school and snuck out to the uh, MSU riots after one of the final four losses. Mm-hmm. Cop grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and was like, go to jail, go home or go to jail. I peed my pants just a tiny little bit. Did you do that when you saw the bear? No. Oh, I, the, the first one I saw was on a training trip, and that was from, like, 75 yards away. And I just kind of saw how, like, it it just wanted to keep its distance, and we, we were pretty, um, yeah. And then... You never seemed, like, aggressive or anything. Yet. Yeah, I mean, it just wanted to... It was just trying to find its way. And that's what all, most all of them are doing. Um, then, er, actually, earlier on that exit trip, we saw three bear, uh, a, mo- a mom and her three cubs. I saw four bears. Um, and that's uh, that's the one where they're always like, be careful with when a mother's with their cubs. Yeah, right. But they were up, I don't know, a thousand feet above us in the mountains. They were just in this yeah, open yeah. patch of snow, and so you could see them. And we had our binoculars and saw that. So it was like, you're kind of. I had been accustomed to that. Okay, there's bears around. It wasn't. It wasn't such a shock like it would be if you were in the suburbs or something. Right. Mine was just. Yeah. It was kind of more of this like. St- frozen in awe moment like whoa like oh my god i can't believe this is happening and there there there's like five other people that were in front of me that were with me so i wasn't scared bears uh, have pretty much never attacked a group of more than three people um they're not stupid but um i I that's one of your first thought is well he'll get my he'll get my guests first. <laughs> well, I was one of the guests on that trip. I was I was being guided oh, okay. by somebody else. But All um right. but uh so like it was just a really cool moment. I really wasn't that freaked out. It just <clears throat> it was kind of just like wow. 
is this really happening right now? And um, yeah, then uh, there's there were a couple other ones where we um, we went on one of our trips ended at this waterfall and I'm guiding people. And it's like really cool when you can get to the waterfall. So most, most people can't get there, but this trip just went perfectly. And we, we plant our kayaks on the beach, get out. And it's about a a third of a mile hike out to this waterfall. Right. We're hiking up there and we go have lunch. It's like, it's a really, really cool experience to have lunch at this waterfall. And, just chat about the environment and, and uh, how everybody's experience is going. And all of a sudden, I get this call over my, my radio. And, uh, it's Garrett, uh, one of the other guides. And he says, yo, Nate, um, I don't want to freak you out, but there is a bear walking down the trail towards you guys. And the waterfall is dead end. I'm like, there's one trail in, one trail out. <laughs> so I have all these guests with me. I'll take the other way. <laughs> yeah, no, you're walking. This is going to happen. And, you know, Garrett's on the beach. So that bear is pretty limited in where it can go, too, because it, there's just high walls around. Can you just, like, if it doesn't move, can you just sit there and, like, have a standoff for two hours until it gets tired and walks away? Or No, no. Um, And in the guy, I'm sure there's there's special circumstances, but in the guiding world, uh, you try to stick your timings as much as you very possibly can. Like, you know exactly when, like what time you have to hit that beach to be able to have like a 15, 20 minute break to then be able to get back in your kayaks to go out or like a 45 minute break. If you're going to take a hike, you know, then you know that when you get back, you have to get those people launched and have them in the water at, you know, say 11, 15, if you have any chance of getting back to that beach by 12, 15. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all this timing stuff that you're trying to hit. And you also just want to be able to have that wildlife experience. (laughs) But, um, so we had to walk back and we're, we're walking back and I don't see the bear at all. I have my bear spray out, you know, just in case and turn a quarter and the bear, it's a big one is just sitting (laughs) on the trail right in front of us, just looking at us. And he just like, kind of eats a couple berries then he like slowly shrugs and turns starts walking back down the path towards the beach and so we're just walking slowly (laughs) right behind the bear as he's going i'm not i'm not trying to push him or anything not trying to make any aggressive move let him keep on keep his distance keep moving but we're just trying to like keep keep going and is it like one of those movies where Somebody is being followed and they stop and turn. And then the other person who's following stops and kind of like turns and looks behind them. Yeah. Like, huh? What? what? Huh? <laughs> are, 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 oh, okay. What? Oh, don't mind us. We're, <laughs> huh? You're still there? Oh, okay. yep. And so, I mean, all it ended up with, he, he went back down to the beach um, and yeah. he ran down. He like grabbed, uh, uh, he grabbed a fish out of the, it was crazy. He just walks up to the, <laughs> he walks up to the shore. He's like, huh? grabs a fish and then he just sat there and ate it and we jumped back in the kayaks and and headed back out on our trip so it wasn't much drama but it was a really cool thing to see and it was just like yeah. i i got back and trent the owner of the of the uh, guiding company was like you saw a bear at waterfall because normally those those areas are pretty bear free 
uh, on our trips. Yeah, there's enough people go there there that the bears just kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's just normally enough of. uh, There's a lot of guides going in, so the bears they want to avoid us. They they just really don't want to deal with us at all. Um, Yeah, and yeah, uh, and I've heard that ninety (laughs) five percent of the time there's a bear around. They'll be aware of you, and they'll be keeping a distance. And unless you like can spot them, more often than not, you won't even know that they're fifty feet away from you. Yeah, I mean they they're patient. They're uh they're quiet when they they're moving through the bushes and stuff and because their feet are like soft, like padded and they can go really quiet, right? Um yeah, I mean I honestly I I don't want to overspeak myself and be like, "Yes." I, <laughs> but um I feel like I saw that on a show one time. They were talking about how like bear are so dangerous because they can be so quiet, yeah. but they can also climb trees and You might they're very good climbers. Very, very good climbers. Um, but they can basically like sprint up a tree. I've seen video of it. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, they have really good claws, and they, the black bears at least, um, hide hide their uh, their young youngin um, in the uh, in the trees when they think that there's danger around, or when they're or so when there's probably... a male around because the male bears will eat a, a woman or a female bear's. Um, children cubs because once those cubs he can try to have his own yeah well once those cubs are dead then that woman or that that woman that female bear um uh, goes direct goes right back into heat and so he's trying to spread his genes and get out any other um competitors it's really yeah nature survival of the fittest yeah wild stuff yeah wild crazy stuff. literally but yeah then um, you had mentioned uh, pre-podcast that you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, interesting living styles. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was the, where we're going into that next, too, is because your living situation in Alaska um, was a little out of your comfort zone, but also opened you up to some new possibilities that kind of moved you towards your next phase of life. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I at the place where I worked, which was Kayak Adventures Worldwide, check them out online if you ever go to Alaska. Um, it's this tiny little red house, and it has one bathroom. And we had eleven people um, that were living there and like working there all the time. And then there's fourteen in total. A few people lived off off um, off campus, but you know I six people lived in the house and then me and four these uh three other girls lived outside the house i guess there was 10 people at the house and i i lived in a shipping container a steel shipping container about a third of it uh, a third of it was our storage for multiple multi-day trips and or two-thirds of it was that and then one-third of it was my little living area just the, no, was it, it at least converted it into a space that was livable, or was it just you in a dank, dark little box? It was me in a dank, dark little box. Um, there was no insulation. Um, there, there was one window. There was one window on my door, and <laughs> but it's yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it it was really quaint. I mean, it was nice. I I, I like I was. It was a cool place to live, but I, I won't say it was nice. I had a little carpet or I had a little rug in there or anything. But um, 
I yeah, it was about eight. But it was like eight by six, maybe. So like a fifty foot, fifty square foot area. Um, and um, yeah, then the girls next to me, we had we had our like own little neighborhood. The girls next to me just lived in a kind of like a, a broken down Winnebago. There were two of them in there, <laughs> and then this other girl, Jack, lived in the back of a pickup truck that didn't have a front. <laughs> it was just the pickup truck back <laughs> with one of those Alaska Alaskan like topper um things that hooks onto the the truck back. And oh yeah. So yeah. she had like yeah, hers her square footage was maybe like fifteen. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean <laughs> so well, it was enough space for a bed and a space to roll off the bed. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just this really, really cool. It really like yeah, it's a family. You're a family there because everybody, you know, when you have to go to the bathroom, there's a line. There's seven people in like there's one shower. And so, you know, um, there were some public restrooms around the area you can walk to. Um, and, you know, you just do what you can. Uh, Alaskans are yeah, not. And otherwise uh, you go to your room or you hang out with people. Yeah. Alaskans are not shy about, um, you know, uh, bodily stuff because like there's just not. There's just not the, the sort of facilities everywhere that we have here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but uh, a few people that were guides, they lived in their cars. They're, they lived in their vans. And I'm like, what? That is awesome. I, I, I always thought of people living in their vans. Like, oh, man, they're on hard times. But no, like people yeah, living in a van down by the river. Yeah, no, they're like people <laughs> people were doing this and they were living like these incredible lives. Is it like? the guiding industry is just these very very interesting people and they're they're just uh um they they love learning stuff they love teaching stuff and they love they love people and so like you have people that lived in the back of their trucks you'd have people that live in the back of their their vans um and i just opened my eyes to like wow there's there's many, many other different ways to live rather than having your home and paying the rent, blah, 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 and like all this, this sort of stuff. It just kind of blew me away. And I had lived in, I had lived in some interesting places before I, when I was right. in river with Rivertown, I, I lived in our, our, um, our industrial uh, storage <laughs> uh, place, turned the apartments into my, my room um but like that for like two years but um which was cool and like at the same time had its drawbacks yeah i mean i didn't have a shower so i I had like my own um camping shower i hung up from the rafters and just filled it up with hot water and then like i think it held like three gallons (laughs) so yeah Yeah. but um but yeah hi um the alaskan experience of just being able to know that you can go out and live out in the middle of nowhere you can live in your car and you can still thrive and like live like it's kind of a a simple lifestyle but it's this like super creative super like just super out out in the wilderness just appreciation of the world and nature sort of lifestyle and that just that that was always something that was in the back of my mind like i want to explore the world and explore nature but then i found out that you know you can do this as a job um you can do this as uh just a way of life and, and find yeah. a way you know and so 
And then you found a way to a different job with different ways of living from there too. Um, or, well, yeah. I guess not from there. Take us, take us to what you get into <laughs> <laughs> once the season was over. Yeah. There. So the, the, at the end of the season, I, I was I said earlier, like I, I obsessed myself with French and part of the guiding industry. And one of the things I love is languages. So you have a lot of people from all different, all over the world. And, um, so I, I had continued with my French and I wanted to go to France and test myself out and see, see, and learn more, but like, you know, see if I, my French hold held water at all. Um, and so there's a thing called work away. It's kind of, uh, I forget the other, the other name for it, but, um, there's working on organic farms, um, too. And you basically, you just go to these places and they provide all your uh, uh, nourriture and logement, um, your food and uh, food and lodging. And um, you just work for like, you pay to get there. Yeah. You pay to get there and everything, but you just work for like four, um, six hours a day, uh, like four or five days a week. And they take care of everything else. You're free to go whenever you want. You're free to come back when, whenever you want, as long as there's openings. And like right. the first one I worked on, I, I lived in this house. Uh, it was in, in Roquebrune, Roquebrune sur Argent, um, right next to the, uh, the southern part of the Alps where they, they go down into the Mediterranean. Um, and, yeah, and you were restoring a, an old chateau? Yeah, it was, it was built like in the 13 or 1400s. Uh, we had geckos living in the house. Like he'd be sitting on the toilet and there would be geckos pointing, like just like sticking their nose out um, through like the, this old stone house and like the old, uh, I don't know how they made their way through there, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, it was on a mountain. It was on this old, like this road that I, it was another situation where I thought I was going to die, like getting to that house. <laughs> but um, with this crazy dude from Wales, he was my roommate there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, these motherfucking hey, these rains aren't gonna stop me. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's like these people are fucking naughty, man. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, yeah, I just worked there. We just cut down all these mimosa trees because they're they're um, invasive invasive species. I guess it was brought from Australia back in the day because they they like grow super mm-hmm. quick. So like for firewood and stuff like that, but they just take over everything. Mm. So we were cutting down mimosa trees and then burning them. So we got to make like bonfires and all this every day. And like the food was absolutely out of this world. Um, and uh, yeah. And then I went and worked for this lady on a llama farm. Um, and uh, um, I, I keep thinking of Tina from uh, <laughs> go feed Tina. <laughs> from uh, napoleon dynamite oh yeah <laughs> um yeah so i lived there for like another two weeks and then uh and she only spoke french um the first one i was at like the dude he spoke a little french but it, i was i was a little down i had a great experience and he, he's a great dude but i was a little down that i didn't get a good chance to uh, work on my french there but it, it was yeah. a really cool experience down in the, the southern France. And then I went to a town that's near Lyon um, and stayed with this other lady for uh, a couple of weeks. 
and built i just worked on like building like this she called it her own little paradise she ran like a kind of like a getaway like bed and breakfast and so i just worked on building stuff for her and did projects learned how to make concrete and and like make concrete structures and stuff like that and she like like i said she only spoke french my french was getting better at this point but i found out when i got to france that i didn't know anything i didn't know shit Uh, (laughs) and so like i thought i was gonna be like like oh wow this guy's fluent and like hard work and diligence only goes so far with language because it just takes time yeah you just need that practice and you need to be put in those situations where it's like whoa like i have to like the only way i can communicate with this person is is speaking it's like google translate just doesn't have it down on this one like we're we're talking totally different words and, and totally different worlds here so um so yeah so I, I got to i got to do that i was in europe for like i think a little over two months and just traveling all around france and then i stayed in i was in portugal for just a tiny little bit and then i stayed but they wore you out out there right i saw that on your instagram too they what they wore you out over there they partied a little too hard for you oh uh, yeah well Port- portugal was that, that portugal? was no that was in barcelona uh, oh, so when amazing. I left France, I, I flew out of Paris and went to Barcelona and stayed there for a week. So the rest of the time I was staying in hostels and uh, like there's just mm-hmm. great. Then obviously in Europe, there's a great hostel system. And you can do hostels on the cheap, right? Like or at least I know you could back when I talked to people that yeah, did I that, was, but that was years if ago. You've, uh, uh, like the one I was going through, is called St. Christopher's. Um, they have stuff all over Europe. And it, it, if you did everything online. It was like 12 euros a night for um, in Barcelona. It was like 12 euros a night. And that included breakfast in the morning. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, you're, you're, you're staying with interesting people. You're staying with people from all over the world. And it like, it's not very like personable, but you can have fun times with the, the people that you, that you um, are in the hostel with. Um, some people are just kind of out there on their own and just want to go do their own thing. And some people are like, want to team up and, and go to museums or go go to the Eiffel yeah. Tower or things like that together. So it's a really cool, yeah. really cool experience. And um, it is cool. I'm going to vouch for that because I did a not internationally, but I went to Hawaii. Um, I guess like before I decided to join the military, I was like, you know, I've been working since I stopped going to school, saved up some money, went to Hawaii, and I stayed in a hostel there. Um, I actually got there. wasn't sure what I was going to do, but then somebody on the plane was like, you know, there's a hostel right in Waikiki that's pretty cheap. And it was, I can't remember how much it was, but it was cheap, but it was like, yeah, you're in a room with like five or six bunk beds. And there was some guys from Japan that didn't speak any English. Um, there was somebody from Germany and then a couple other people from like randomly about the United States and people, like you said, were like, Hey, I'm, gonna go here for lunch anybody want to go with me yeah it's uh and then you got a friend for the day yeah yeah it's just really cool and yeah if you take some pictures and like you you just remember those those little experiences and moments and yeah i some of the times that i remember are just uh, seeing new people come in and hearing them speak in spanish and i'll like try to say something to them in spanish and we'd get into like random little really simple but random little conversations and like they they would acknowledge you later and it's just it was fun stuff and like you're it's like you're living in this global world 
Uh, and yeah. so it's, uh, I highly recommend that, that experience and, and learning yeah, languages. Something that you kind of are disconnected from in the United States, just cause Canada, they speak, I mean, a little bit of French, but English and then Mexico, they speak Spanish, but you know, a lot of people, I don't yeah, know. Spanish shows like... up in, in the U S more than anything, but it's not like an official language. It's not anything that, that... depending on where you go, it's more prominent, but yeah. yeah. Um, um Right. But like, yeah, other than that, like people don't really have a large interconnectedness where there's lots of countries available to them with lots of different languages and lots of different cultures. Yeah. The, I mean, there's different the coolest cultures and ways of speaking in America, but it's cool yeah. stuff at the hostels. The people that worked at the hostels, like they would be they or you'd be in a line checking in and like one person's like speaking Russian and the hostel guys like speaking Russian back to them and they're communicating. And then. Yeah, and then like the next person comes up and they're speaking uh, Italian, and so the hostel guy like sw- switches to Italian and talks to them. Then the next person's speaking French, and then the next person's speaking English, and then Spanish. And these guys just they are not all of them speak like six languages, but a lot of them do, and it's just insane to yeah. to understand like how much people can absorb. Yeah, well, when you can just hop on a bus. Like, you know, we're in Michigan. If you could hop on a bus and go to Chicago, but imagine like you hop on a bus and all of a sudden you're in Spain or you hop on a different bus and all of a sudden you're in Italy yeah. or get on this train and all of a sudden you're in Greece. And, and yeah. uh, like in Europe, they have those. It becomes a necessity to learn language. They have flights where you can go for on like for from Greece to Italy for like 14 bucks. Yeah, like, yeah, and so yeah. you can just jump on something an hour later you're in a totally different place you're in a totally different language totally different culture and there's so much history there and everything it's just new stuff to see everywhere it's uh i gotta mm-hmm. i i want to go back eventually once the world opens up again and just do like a right. full european tour because i i'd focus this one on france because I, I was really working on my language skills um Right. And it was kind of funny. I didn't realize that I could actually speak French um, passable uh, until yeah. uh, until I left France and I started hearing everybody speak Spanish. And then I, every once in a while, I'd hear somebody speak French and be like, huh? And like, it was just like that, that recognizable thing that I could actually understand somebody saying uh, something. Right. So um, that was that's also a cool experience there. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, okay. So now you've, you've traveled and you've kayaked extensively and you've seen different ways of living and that all kind of pushed into the car V thing, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I wanted to go back to Alaska and, and experience stuff that I didn't get to experience before. Cause before I was without a car and I just flew in, they picked us up in Anchorage, drove us down to Seward. And we got to see a little bit of the rest of Alaska, um, but only like on our end of season trip. And there's just, I mean, it's such a big place. There's just so much more I wanted to see. I never saw Denali. Um, and so um, the last guest that I took out in in the kayak season actually worked for the train. And the train runs from uh, Seward down in the south of Alaska to uh, all the way up to Fairbanks and they were just like you would you should be a guide on the train who you'd be perfect for it and you'd really enjoy it and and uh, they worked between Anchorage and Denali and Denali National Park 
you know, like, ah, oh, that sounds like a cool, cool idea. And it's a creative way to say it too. Get paid to get great views. Yeah. And just kind of help other people along with their experience. Yeah. As well. I, I didn't know too much about it, but I, at that point, like, I wasn't sure if I was going back to Alaska yet, but I, I knew that like, if I did, I wanted to have a different experience. And then mm. I'm in, when I was in France, the first hostel and the first people I stayed with actually worked for the same company in Alaska. And they, uh, they worked on the land portion, so they weren't on the train, but they, it was just like, I was connected with this company twice in a matter of a couple months. And, yeah. um, I was just like, yeah, man, maybe like, maybe that's something to the, the lifestyle that these people are living They They get off and they're like, yeah, we had all this money from the season. Now we just go travel the world. Like that could be, that could be a cool experience. So I, I applied, I, and I got the job as a, a train guide. And I, this time I was going to go to Alaska. I was going to drive because I wanted to have a car there. I wanted, it's one still on my bucket list as I want to, um, I want to make that trip <laughs> all the way through Canada and all the way into Alaska and uh, just do it once because it's supposed to be one of the most beautiful trips in the world. So I had my Ford Explorer that I was like, you know, I, I'm looking back on it. I'm just like, I think I could fit a mattress in here. And so uh, I just set my car up so I could have like pretty much all of my personal belongings. I was planning on driving up to Alaska, staying up there for like a year and just using my car to, um, to just stay in there. And I, I fit a full size memory foam mattress in my car and I, I stayed in it one night and I was like, this is actually pretty comfortable. And then COVID happened and they shut down the borders <laughs> And so I, I, yep. I couldn't get to Alaska and then they ended up shutting out the whole season. Cause it's the, the way the train works. Um, these are all cruise customers that, um, are getting off the cruise from their, their, uh, water portion of the cruise. And then this is their land cruise getting on the train and going into Denali. Oh, very so, cool. So, um, once the, once those shut down, everything shut down and, uh, I, I, got connected again with kayaking but here in michigan through my my uh my mentor in kayaking mr trey at the the power of water um little shout out to trey um and i got hooked up with just learning to be a better kayaker getting um uh more certifications uh with the aca and becoming an instructor and so for all these events, we, we had to travel around up to the UP, up to, I was up to the UP three different, four different times, um, on, on trips, uh, like do practicing for different scenarios and everything. And, uh, in the real world. And then we went out to the ocean, out to Rhode Island and this whole time, you know, I, I couldn't afford, couldn't afford to to stay in any houses or rent places and anything. So I just started staying in my car and started realizing, like, man, if I took out these seats and I'd have all this extra space. And if I took out the front seat, I could bring my dog and <laughs> just kind of like all just evolved from this, just having a mattress in my car to like building stuff up, building the mattress up a little bit so I could 
store things underneath it, made it um, reclining and inclining. So I could lift the bed up and, and store stuff behind and have like a inclined uh, bed part in there. And um, yeah, so I. Then you made those you made those cutouts for your window so that you have actual insulated yeah. sun blocking cutouts for the window and you can stay nice and toasty yep. in there. Could stay nice and toasty in the winter. I've slept in there when it was twenty degrees outside and in the summer it keeps out the heat so it's nice and cool in there. And um it's just, it's like being in the womb. It's a very it's a crammed place, but it's so warm and cozy and beautiful. Like it's it's the best place I've ever slept. It's so dark and you just pass out and sleep so good so um yeah i just kind of fallen in love with this idea of like the car v and um and i got one of those things to put on the uh, the racks to put on the back of it and i have all my kayak and stuff above um above it and then food storage in the middle and um it's it's been a unique uh but especially during covid a, a pretty nice little way to to get away and not not really have contact with people like we we stayed in the up for a little over two weeks just staying on like back back country state roads or um they're just little dirt roads that you can pull off of and they lead to whatever other back country state road and just kind of find yourself a spot and um you know we cooked uh we cooked out of little metal pans and and uh jet boil and um yeah you just make your way. And that's kind of what I learned in Alaska is like, you just make your way. And then, you know, you're going to have to poop in some awkward places. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you're going to have to do some weird things that you don't really think of from like a city, city boy perspective. But, yeah. um, you know, you just, you do what you do to get by. And it's, it's a just, you know, I, I have a little philosophy of the sun's going to sun comes up tomorrow. You know, yeah, no matter what happens, no matter what happens and what you do, if you take a risk and you fail, uh, the sun's still going to come up tomorrow and you can you can try something new. Yeah, or if the or if the world shuts down on you, the sun still comes up. There's still opportunities there to take advantage of. And and so, um, you know, that this is my own little way of taking advantage of the situation the best I can. And and uh, um, it's been a fun little fun little journey a fun little thing of growth so uh not at this point i i just just got my job back in in alaska but it doesn't start till whenever the cruises start up again so um right it could be could be middle of may it could be um could be as late as july i think if it goes to july they'll probably just shut down the season but um yeah but the car v rises again I, I actually in one of my trips to the UP, I I um, dropped my transmission. It, it w- went bad on me, and so I was able to drive it home. But it was cranking and clanking and doing some nasty stuff the whole time. And so I had to make a choice of either get rid of my car V that I just put so much work into, or replace the replace the transmission and have a car that I could felt could be reliable for the next few years. And so. Still got the car V. It's got a new transmission, and hopefully this year it gets to make the trip up to Alaska and do the same thing I was planning on last year. Yeah, man, I hope so. That uh, that'd be wild, and then you can keep updating the uh, the adventures on the on the Instagram too. 
I was living vicariously through you there for a long time, and then then COVID hit, and now nobody is living vicariously through anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm fortunate that I, I was brought into the kayaking world, um, and I'm fortunate that like it continued to blossom, and even through like the COVID, kayaking was this thing that you could do because it's by definition a pretty socially distanced sport and um right yeah you don't want to be yeah right right elbow to elbow yeah. with somebody with so i got to i got to yeah. go out and do something that i already had i already had experience doing and i already had the equipment to do and um yeah i was just fortunate that it was something that i could i could still go out and do uh around and have a, a way where i could i could live in a uh, a unique way and be able to follow something that i i'm you know pretty passionate about kayaking is it's a part of me whether whether i like it or not there's a guy that um that i know when i was telling him about like the first time that i i started to learn the dynamics of how a paddle worked and um this guy's like considered one of the best kayakers in the world and he looks at me and he goes ah welcome to the dark side my friend (laughs) And, uh, so, um, it's, it really is the dark side of, of, uh, of kayaking when you start to get into the, the more advanced and fun stuff. Cause it, it just, it's something you can do for your whole life and it's something you can continue to get better at and, and work at. And, uh, it's a, a nice little rush and a, a way you can get to places where, um, you can't get to any other way. Yeah. Well, man, this is awesome, you know, because creative ops is a lot of it is talking to like artists and stuff like that, but it's not exclusively about just that. It's, you know, hopefully helping people that want to like just follow their passion, whether it's art or whether it's business or whether it's travel or any mixture. Um, So it's fun to talk to people that, you know, took that leap and just said, I'm going to do what I want to do. And hopefully good things come from right, it. Yeah. Because most of the people that I talk to that do that, you know, like I've talked to the, um, from the bright walls mural festival. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. um, clay, <laughs> that's his name. Clay McAndrews. Talked to him about, uh, what he was doing, putting together this art festival. I talked to another muralist about how just, making murals got him this job which got him that job which got him this job and different writing things that i've been doing it just seems like if you find a thing and you're like i'm gonna attack it that thing might not be the thing but it will lead to other things yeah um if that rambling made any sense yeah you know jim Rohn. uh one of his philosophies that uh he always said was for things for for things to change for you you have to change you know, you don't get everything on the outside. You don't get the weather to change. You don't get all that stuff to change. You change your way that you think about it. You change who you are and you change your skills and, and you work and you do new things. Then you'll have uh, different results. And then if you continue doing the same thing that you've done every day for the rest of the, um, for, um, you know, your past life. And, um, you know, then you might find whatever path that you're leading, you might find that it 
it's not the not the place you want to go, or maybe it is. But he also says, um, uh, if you let them, your skills will make room for you, uh, and your talents and the things that you work for, they will work. They will make room for you. And so it's kind of that, yeah. You know, maybe maybe this place that you're heading is kind of the right direction, but in a certain way, yeah. maybe it's not exactly the right direction and it's like a plant where you know it it's that next stem that sprouts off and it starts now let's see if the light is better coming from over here and um yeah you know so uh that's i think that that is what creativity is um (laughs) it's it just manifests itself in a bunch of different ways maybe it's in how you live or the job that you have or maybe it's in the way that you organize people to set up an organization, or maybe it's the way that you promote um, a like a, an art um, <clears throat> an art show or um, art prize in Grand Rapids there. And maybe it's in all yeah. these different ways you can be very creative and you, you let that ingenuity come out. And yeah, it, it's just it's interesting to see what happens because sometimes. Um, my job used to be where I did the same thing every single day and it, it you know, it was great. It, I, it was a great way to live and all that, but there was something within me that wanted to do something a little different and that this is the way that it all sprouted. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird too. Cause same for me, the, the podcast and the, the, the paid blogging jobs that I've been getting lately, it all stemmed from me being like, I'm going to write a novel and try to get it published. And I still haven't, but like that decision and that those actions led to other things that have actually turned into, um, you know, productive, sometimes even uh, money-making things Right. where, you know, I can put the podcast out right now and see it immediately and you never know They're like that i get paid for writing blogs for people so i'm still you know i'm still making making money with the skills just not the way that i thought yeah. i would but yeah that's your skills making room for you and you know yeah. maybe maybe like that that seed that was planted in your first book which i've read and i think it's an awesome book chris you know that i i gave oh, you, a, you i think i thank you. think you have my official review but um yeah i think it, i think you're unofficial your official review was really nice and your unofficial review was yeah it was good man i mean it's not gonna win a the pulitzer prize but it's good yeah something like that yeah (laughs) between friends i gotta be i gotta be which no which is is high praise that's was i was going for uh i was going for entertainment value not uh a giant literary statement um you know the um just the podcasting and the the blogging and all that that's only gonna that's only going to open you up to that many more people that now have heard of you and you have a name and you have a following, you have people, you know, those things only expand as long as you keep with them. It's like any muscle, as long as you keep on flexing it and working it, you know, it'll continue to grow. But once you stop, it continues to grow. And then the networking too, from it is, has been amazing. The, the other authors that I've interviewed, Brandon Scott, everybody should go read Brandon Scott's voodoo trilogy. Uh, well, it's going to be a trilogy. The first two books are out. Um, and then uh, Jennifer Susie's got a ton of books out. Both of those guys are awesome. Um, they've been 
super helpful, giving me advice and guidance and talking about what I should be doing, things to look out for in the future. Um, they've both read some of my stuff and given me feedback. Uh, so just committing to a passion like draws other people that are committed to a passion and a similar purpose to you and you to them. Um, and then from that, you're, you're only going to get more rooted in and better and, you know, just improve yourself as a creative person or as a person in general, really. Right. I think the two go hand in hand. I think so too. And that's a good spot to end on, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show so many times. Yeah, uh, I put more work into this show than I think anybody else has so far. So we'll just <laughs> we'll just call the first try a pre-interview. Pre-interview, little halt. Yeah. Second interview, then the real interview. That's right. Um, well, you're a good friend. You're a good man. I love you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, the show, dude, you are a good friend too. I love you and your family. And uh, yeah, we will see each other soon, brother. All right, man. Love you. Love you too. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Check out Nate's Instagram at GiveMeLiberty82. That's GiveMeLiberty, all words, the number eight, two. And uh, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I'm impressed you stuck around this long. <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs>